Good morning, and welcome to episode 652 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I am Ben Lindbergh of Grantland, joined by Sam Miller of Baseball Prospectus. Hello. Hey, Ben. How are you? Okay. We got a tweet today from someone who said that after 100 episodes, he's finally learned to keep us straight, learned to identify which of us is which. We get tweets like this periodically. I'm always amazed that we are not easily distinguishable. I remember once overhearing a conversation of people who collectively could not tell um, Matt Damon and Leo DiCaprio apart in The Departed. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> well, that I mean, you you've got some some face blindness, right? I do. I have bad face blindness, and that's why it's that's why I feel okay mocking them. Yeah, uh, because uh, I had no no trouble mm-hmm. with. with so I guess move. I guess there is voice blindness as well. I guess most likely. I, the thing about it though is that, like, we sound just based on the recording production, we sound like we're in two different podcasts, and somebody spliced them together awkwardly. <laughs> like you're uh-huh. you're recording, you're speaking directly into the microphone, mm-hmm. uh, and not only that, but a nice microphone. And I'm speaking basically into a computer microphone uh, that is then being transported over Skype. And they just, like, they don't sound alike. Uh-huh. Just, we don't, like, even if we sounded alike, and, and by the way, even if we brought remotely the same level of energy, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, the, you would think the production would be a dead giveaway. One of us, one of us is essentially, like, recording... One of us is like an like an HBO prestige drama, <laughs> and the other one of us is is like a, a Preston Sturgis film. <laughs> one of us is Robert Durst in the bathroom with the mic on. <laughs> <laughs> and the other one is Andrew Jarecki. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's uh, I I've had that experience in as a podcast listener, like. NPR's Invisibilia podcast. Have you listened to that? The... I have, and, and I didn't have a. Tr- I have, and I while I have face blindness, I have extreme vocal perception, like uh-huh. extreme. Well, the hosts uh, of so, that so, really have similar they, voices. They, they right, joke they, about how similar they, they sound. Deal about it, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, so that one's understandable, but mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Well, like I said, I'm Ben. He's Sam. My wife can't tell Mike Pesca and Stefan Fatsis apart. Really? Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Well, okay. So speaking of extensions, which we did on yesterday's episode, did you read about Doug Melvin's extension? No. Doug Doug Melvin gets to determine his own extension, essentially. He is going into the last year of his contract. He's had like three previous extensions, three previous three-year extensions or or four-year extensions on his contract as Brewers GM. And he... He gets the call. The, the headline of this story at the Journal Sentinel is Doug Melvin gets call on length of extension. And there are quotes from Mark Adanasio about how he's just sort of waiting around for Doug Melvin to tell him how long he wants his contract to be. So yeah. if you were a GM and you could, you know, you could choose your own extension length, how long would you choose your extension to be? And Doug Melvin is 62 and he's been doing this forever and maybe at some point he'll get burned out but but forget about retirement what if you are in the, the 
prime of your working life and you get to determine how long you want an extension for. How long would you take? And the presumption is that if I if I sign an extension for for three years that I can't leave for three years that I can't go to a different team. That's what's yeah. I guess that's what's stopping me from saying third. Right. I guess there's always there's the possibility of uh, of getting a president job or something with another team. But let's say that you can't be a GM for another team, and and I guess just you can't renegotiate your contract or you can't have the opportunity to have someone bid up your salary. But, but yeah, oh. you, like you never know how long you want to lock yourself in for because ownership changes and a team's competitive state changes. And yet you also like job security and it would be nice not to worry about getting fired or or at least getting fired and not being paid. So those things kind of conflict. Yeah, I do like job security. I was tempted to, to say, you know, forever in... Uh, and every every point you make uh, makes me see how foolish I am uh, and short sighted I am. So um, I guess I guess I don't know. I guess I would want. And I've been at the club for a long time. I'm like Melvin. I've been there. There's no like sense that I need to have five years to have my plan work or anything like that. I mean, presumably I'm already in the yeah. fifth year of some plan. Yeah, right? I guess so. I guess like four. Mm-hmm. I guess if it's good enough for Barack Obama, uh-huh. I'd consider it good enough for me. Well, Barack Obama probably would have preferred eight if he had been allowed to choose. And yet, uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. I yeah. am. Although, who knows? Maybe he wouldn't have wanted to commit to the second term before he had the first term. I mean, he'd be an instant lame duck. Yeah, that's true. If he had, if he had chosen an eight. Mm-hmm. Uh I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, tell me how your brain is working on this. Tell me why you think this is an interesting question. I don't know. Four cents. Do you have an answer? Four cents about right. That's what Melvin keeps doing, apparently. I guess that's what he. It's what works for him. It sounds. I guess I would. I'd probably. I might go longer than four. Just. I know. Uh, I might too. I just mean, to make sure that I don't. You know, if I have a couple bad years, because as you've mentioned, extensions for managers and GMs are very uh, you know you can you can discard them it's not like they're making that much money compared to how much you're spending on payroll so having a a couple of years of of contract ahead of you doesn't necessarily mean that someone won't fire you but having five years of contract ahead of you might mean that yeah i'll uh i don't know seven <laughs> okay all right seven sounds good okay so it's a uh, listener email show yeah, first, real quick, mm-hmm. it's a it's not nearly a full a full slate of games yet. We're only halfway through the day. Uh-huh. However, first three games today, yeah. three hours fourteen, uh-huh. two hours forty eight, uh-huh. three hours twenty two. All right, <laughs> so, so, has that completely ruined your your confidence that that might mean something? The first day's game length, having two games over over last year's average. Just pointing it out. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. So let's take a question from Isaac in Montreal. I'm watching Tanaka get lit up, and now the Yankees have brought in a reliever in the fifth who is no good. In games like these that turn into blowouts, teams will often throw out guys who aren't great anyways. This makes me wonder about how arbitrary nine innings per game is. What if, instead of having the standings be wins and losses, the standings were a reflection of run differential? 
By doing this, each pitch would matter equally, a 9-0 win would be more valued than a 1-0 win, and games would never truly be over, since each at-bat would count for something. Run differential is obviously something we, we look at already when we're trying to figure out a team's true talent or get closer to a true team's true talent. And uh, sometimes we will just throw out blowouts or we'll say that a certain team had a bunch of blowouts and it skewed their run differential to some extent. So Isaac is just saying, why don't we cut out that stage of analysis and that adjustment and just have run differential be the thing that everyone is trying to improve? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, right. It would make, uh, I mean, the game, there would be in a way no place uh, in the world for mop-up men any longer uh, because every inning, no matter what, would be just as valuable as the others. There would be, there would essentially be no such thing as leverage. Um, and I said there would be no place for mop-up men, and yet, obviously, as is apparent, you would have all the mop-up men. You would still have all those guys are mop-up men, uh, not because they're, I mean, they're, they're still necessary. Uh, mm-hmm. They're still considered the, you know, 740th best player in the world and so mm-hmm. uh you would have no leverage whatsoever what you would probably start every game with your uh, maybe with your closer but you would certainly use your closer basically whenever you could without any regard for how, whether the score was close right mm-hmm. you would yeah. just immediately you would just start with your best players and use them until they were too tired uh-huh uh, there'd be no strategy to it at all. You just start at the top of your spreadsheet and then go on down. But what would be interesting, I'm trying to find it, Ben, and I can't find it. I, I don't think we've ever talked about it, but it's always been one of my very favorite facts about early baseball. Mm. Until some point, uh, there was no um, there was no rule that you didn't play the bottom of the ninth when the home team was winning. And so. Uh-huh. If you were winning in the ninth and you were the home team, you'd come out <laughs> and you'd, you'd play. Uh-huh. Uh, is it this? Uh, I'm trying to find it. I I know about this from um, I know about this from uh, from Peter Morris's A Game of Inches. Uh huh. You know <laughs> what what year that started or stopped? I guess that's what you're trying to find. That's what I'm trying to find. I'm trying to find the write up. <laughs> Did you know also? Well, I found this while looking for it. It was not until 1950 that the home team was required by rule to bat last. By then, what had once been viewed as a significant strategic decision had become so routine that hardly anyone noticed. So mm. you originally, I guess, you got to choose or something like that. Huh. And, uh, and it became, based on my skimming, it became simply the, 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 the default choice. Yeah. Uh, not a rule until 1950. I wonder when the last time a home team didn't bet second was. Yeah, somebody should find that. Somebody I if should. I, I wonder if that's play indexable. Hmm. I wonder if that's play indexable. Yeah. Uh, I think it is. Hang on. I'm going to try. We do have a play index segment coming up. <clears throat> we do. Anyway, I've, I've now given up looking so, that I, can, so <laughs> okay. I can look for this. Well, I'm curious what uh what the stats were like in those meaningless bottom of the ninths bottoms of the ninth would uh would guys try as hard because their numbers were still at stake or would they have significantly different offensive statistics or pitching statistics or would umpires just 
call strikes every time, or maybe that was before umpires called strikes, or I don't know what. Well, now I've now you've said this. Now I've switched. I've switched <laughs> back to the book. <laughs> um, all right. Well, so the the run differential thing. While you look, I I guess you would have to choose between. It would appeal to to people who want the playoffs to be a or or who want the season to be a more accurate reflection of the team's true talent. Although at this point, with so many playoff rounds and so much randomness injected into the process there, I don't know how much anyone even really cares about the best regular season teams qualifying for the playoffs anymore. But you'd also have to choose between... It, it would be a trade-off because you would have... Every, every moment in every game would have some level of importance, but no moment in any game would have a really extreme level of importance. So you'd have to choose between whether you want that or whether you prefer the, the peaks and valleys of the current system where you get sleepy blowouts where announcers have to try to find something to talk about and you have to try to find something to write about when you cover it for the worst game of the season article at the end of the year. And then there are the moments of high drama interspersed with the boredom. I'm not sure which I would prefer. I think I probably prefer the peaks and valleys. Because change is more entertaining than not change. There's an entire section in this book on the history of, quote, when all else fails slash grooving as a category of baseball action. This book is so phenomenally specific. <laughs> this is a great book. I can't find it. I'm going back to the play next. Okay. <laughs> it's too hard to tell. Rain delays make it impossible. I need exactly one more filter uh, than they have. All right. Okay. Brett wants to know, if you owned a very good team and felt compelled to go all in this season, but had already signed every free agent who was willing to join your team and had picked up every overpriced player that other teams were willing to trade, what would be the best way to pick up some extra wins? Well... You could, uh, I mean, one thing you could do is you could trade, no, could you? You could trade your overpriced player to another team for their better player and then pick up both contracts. You could eat all of the overpriced players' contracts so that they would essentially get a free player. So if there was like a three-win player who's making 10, you know, 10 million and a, and a two-win player that's making 30 million, then you take the three-win player, give them the two-win player, but eat all $30 million of his contract. Uh-huh. So then you go from two to three, and then they go from $10 million for three wins to $0 for two wins, and so they would also be happy. Hmm. That's not the spirit of the question. Yeah. Well, but it's true. It is. So you could... I, I guess this is also not the spirit of the question. You would not just want to trade all your prospects for good players in the short term. So that would make you not a very good team pretty soon. Uh, yeah. So okay. So we're just we're just bad at this uh, question. So let <laughs> let's. How would we really answer this? Um, uh, boy. I mean, there's nothing you can do to improve your your. I mean, all the all the improvements you can make are are off the field, I guess, right? There's nothing you can do if you can't sign anyone good and you can't trade for anyone good. <laughs> Those are the ways to get players, unless 
Well, is there any strategy that is so short-term that no team would do it, uh, but that might have a short-term benefit? Like, let you having your uh, abusing your pitchers, having your relievers mm. throw mm-hmm. ninety-five uh, outings, right? Would yeah, be and might work. Yeah, like the that's the the Billy Martin reputation, at least that he yeah. worked his pitchers really hard wherever he went, and it paid off in the short term, and then. Everyone tanked, but by then he'd been fired and hired somewhere else. So yeah, you could you could do that, I guess. Is there is there any equivalent for position players? Probably not. Uh, uh, I guess. Hmm. I mean, well, it it depends. You could just give no one days off, but you don't know whether that actually make you better. It might be that you would be better giving guys days off. So I I mean I presume that there's no there's no long term damage to giving guys days off. So. Mm-hmm. Presumably, yeah, teams do it right now because it's good for them in the short term. Right. But it's humane. So I would guess that that's not one. And so is there anything you could spend money on that would be, I mean, you could bribe the umpire? <laughs> is there, yeah, there's, you could. There's, no, there's really no way you could spend money, like you couldn't spend money on like nicer bats. Like, that wouldn't really be a thing. Like, <laughs> no. like you'd do it if you could. Like, oh, uh, you know, uh, um better better batting gloves <laughs> I'm like I'm sure the teams batting, have, the batting teams... glove budget is unlimited this year <laughs> fellas teams have probably thought of that already um, so so yeah i don't think equipment would be the way to go you could uh, uh i mean brett pro- mentions yeah, brett, brett mentions that you could just hire other front offices you could you could hire the best coaches and hire the best analysts or something try to try to steal all your all your rivals best quantitative people or scouts or whatever you could i doubt if you hired a front office in march it would do you much good and i doubt if you hired even there if you could if you could um just poach every team's scouting staff right before the draft that would probably be be good not for this year well, yeah, that's true. You're going all in. That's right that's... before the trade deadline. <laughs> I don't know. You'd have the if you could if you could hire a scout from every organization or or someone from every organization who could bring along knowledge of that organization's uh, rankings of prospects. You know, every well, organization. Prospects don't matter though. Yeah, prospects, don't, prospects matter. don't matter. Well, you you could use your their perceptions of your prospects to. To make more advantageous deals in the short term. Uh, you don't care. You don't care about your prospects. Well, you you, you could trade prospects. your you could trade your prospects to no, a team know, that values we, them more. Well, first of all, we've already we've already taken that off the table. <laughs> right. Okay. But so, second of all, mm-hmm. second of all, it doesn't really matter. You're not gonna you're you're gonna trade your prospects away, but you don't really care about getting value from your prospects because your prospects are nothing to you. Now, might it be conceivable that you know, you might squeeze an extra few, you know, dollars of prospect value out of your prospects, maybe, but not really. I mean, you're you're gonna trade your prospects for the best players you can get in your scenario that we've already ruled to be against the rules anyway. <laughs> mm-hmm. You could have four advanced scouts at every yeah. game, right? Um, you could you could uh, maybe maybe it might be worthwhile to uh, I don't know. You could I guess you could. I mean, you could bribe a team's uh, <laughs> bench coach 
for their signs or something. <laughs> I mean, I, it wouldn't matter. You wouldn't. It wouldn't help to like sign a team. You could have someone so. steal signs, right? You could have a like an advanced scout whose only job that. was to steal signs. And I mean, you could you, just... Well, you could. Yeah, you could do that right now if you mm-hmm. wanted. The, the teams don't not do that because they're not all in. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with being all in. Uh, they don't do that for other reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, so probably not that helpful. Uh, you could, I don't know. Yeah, there's not much that you can do unless you're willing to break laws. Yeah, like there are things you could do if you were willing to break laws. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you'd hire, you could hire lawyers. You could just hire a lot of lawyers. Could yeah. you pay another guy, another team's players to retire? Yeah, or you could, uh, you could bribe someone to return a positive test on a PED test well, or something true. or that's against the law that's against the law well, I'm, yeah. saying, mm-hmm. I'm saying could you technically if you didn't technically not realistically but technically if you didn't want Kershaw to pitch for the Dodgers could you just go to him and you know on the side say I'll give you a personal services contract of 400 million dollars to retire <laughs> you could um could you no you say you could what do you how do you know you, you mean would it be against the law that's what I mean all right. we that, don't that would probably be tampering. We don't have a good one. This this has gone on long enough. Yeah, that's tough. Okay. Uh, all right. This one is from Tom. He says, a lot has been made of the declining share of revenue taken home by players. I have a theory that I've not seen discussed much and was wondering if that lack of discussion is because I'm missing something obvious. In recent years, the aging curve for players has shifted forward. With players peaking earlier, the most valuable assets are the ones with the least bargaining power, and the players who do have more bargaining power are less valuable than they were 10 years ago. Could this explain why salary inflation has not kept up with increased baseball revenues? Is there anything the players could do realistically? Is there something I am totally missing? Just a couple weeks ago, we had Tim Britton on here talking about how the gap between something about prospects like the gap between the minors and the majors being so big now and that for that reason young players were doing poorly right weren't didn't weren't we just talking about how young players are worse Uh, than they've ever been uh that that came up briefly um yeah which well i mean young players is maybe not quite the same as as players who are rookies or guys who just came up from the minors i don't i don't know as you know i Wrote about that a little while ago at Grantland, and and it does seem like the gap is at its largest. The gap between AAA and, and MLB is as large as it's been over the last three decades or so, but not not larger than it's ever been, not dramatically larger than it has been recently. So it doesn't seem like there's been some okay. sort of sea change there. But anyway, but it does. Unnecessary, yeah, unnecessary it, topic. Okay. It it is true though that uh, that the aging curve seems to have shifted back toward the historical norm and that players under 30 are now accounting for a larger percentage of the total league-wide production than than they were a decade ago or so, you know this is a really good question then it is a good question it's very interesting uh, question you should have written about this no well, i didn't think of it took you time to say. suggest it um so it seems like there's something to that right that uh if you, if more production is concentrated in younger players and younger players don't have much bargaining power and they are governed by the 
the CBA and the arbitration process or the pre-arbitration process, then then yeah, right? Like once you once you get to the age where you are a free agent, you are no longer as attractive and teams don't want you as much and they don't want to pay you as much. Although I guess theoretically there's also a, a shortage of players or shortage of free agents because of all the extensions and maybe maybe that drives up the price somewhat also. So uh it makes sense to me. I don't. I don't think it explains the full change in percentage of revenue, but it might be a contributing factor. Yeah i I don't think that it, I don't think it matters. I, mm-hmm. I think that uh, that owners spend as much money as they feel comfortable spending on players. And yeah, so, well, like, that changes it, over time. Yeah, but like I think that if if they had $150 million to spend and um, a good player was available for less than expected and so they were going to be able to get away with $147 million, I think they would spend that $3 million anyway. I think they'd find $3 million mm-hmm. uh, to spend somewhere else. Yeah. Well, a lot of it, of course, is the is the TV contracts and teams getting tons of money for TV and and you would think that some of that should trickle down to the players eventually, and maybe it will, but it hasn't really had to yet. It's not like the it's not like the broadcast companies negotiate contracts with the owners where they demand that the players be given a certain portion of the revenue. So they're talking to the league and they're talking to the owners and they're giving them lots of money and the owners aren't just going to willingly uh, turn around and and gift some percentage of that to the players. So uh, I don't know how you how you encourage owners to to share the wealth if you are the players association, other than you know using the threat of a strike in well, the next negotiations. So let's let's just though assume that let's assume that I'm right and that the amount of money that goes to the players uh, t- in total is the same. But because of this that Tom has pointed out, uh, it is being distributed less equitably than ever before. That a large percentage of young good players are being paid uh, even more or less than they're worth while the money is going to older players who are uh, even less deserving of it than ever before. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're the Players Association, do you care? Does this matter to you or is total revenue going to your uh, population of workers, uh, you know, all that really matters. It's particularly because, you know, it's going to older players and younger players someday become older. Right. Does it, would it bother you at all? <sighs> Maybe is not. There, I guess I'm saying, is there any, is it in the unions, in the players' associations' interests to have uh, pay be distributed more equitably? I don't know. I think it is, and I think it partly is because, uh, well, I mean, certainly they represent the interests. I mean, the union is not a thing uh, with its own brain. The union represents the people that it represents. And to me, it seems like the uh, are the ones most uh, in need of that payday. That mm-hmm. if you're, like we've you know, sort of talked about in other contexts, it's great. I mean, it's super great for, um, you know, some 31-year-old to get, for Nelson Cruz to get $56 million or whatever. Like, that's good for him. But 
it would be really lousy if, um, you know, like uh, Anthony Rendon or something and had his life severely affected by the lack of his big payday. And um, so ultimately, if the job is to you know, ca- maximize the amount the players make, but also to maximize the benefit to their lives and uh, improve the quality of their lives, uh, then you would think that they would want to uh, to push the, the, the payments even earlier, if possible, right? Mm-hmm. You would think that they would want to make sure that every player who makes the majors and establishes himself or, you know, just is a working major leaguer uh, would have uh, some security and comfort for the rest of their lives. Um, and that would mean pushing the revenue forward to the younger players. Obviously not too young, because if you're too young, you're in the minors and you don't count. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you're an amateur and you don't need this. But if you're, uh, you know, a second-year player... It seems kind of important. So what what does the union? I wonder what the union doesn't get uh, in that if it were rearranged. I mean, I guess you could say that maybe union reps are more likely to be veterans, and so maybe they're more likely to represent the interests of veterans. Mm-hmm. But I wonder what you lose. I wonder. I wonder what you lose. Maybe you lose. Maybe it, maybe it actually works the other way. Maybe. Uh, maybe uh, the other way to Tom's theory, maybe they know that veterans will always be overpaid, just uh-huh. they always will be forever and ever. And so you want to make sure that GMs have as much ability to overpay veterans as possible because uh, that's where all the dumb money goes in. Like you basically want to have the one guy at the table who's sort of drunk and doesn't really care that he only has a low pair and is just going to throw his money in. Mm-hmm. And that is owners around veterans. So maybe they want to free up that money, the the drunk, the <laughs> drunk low pair money. Mm-hmm. Probably not. I don't think that's it. I'm going to back off of that line of thinking. <laughs> okay. uh, and I'm going to say that it would be better for the union if they figured out a way to get more money in young players' hands and less money in old players' hands. All right. Good question, Tom. Play index? Sure. So um, did you? You didn't. Did you see what Jared Saltolamarchia did yesterday? I didn't. No, you didn't. It wasn't notable. <laughs> uh, but it was notable in a way. So in his first plate appearance, uh, he came up uh, leading off the third inning, trailing by one, and he struck out. In his second plate appearance, uh, he came up in the fifth inning in a tie game with a runner on first and nobody out. And he struck out. Mm. And then he came up in the seventh inning, uh, trailing by one with nobody out and the bases loaded. (laughs) And he hit a 5-2-3 double play. This feels like a negative WPA play index. It is. So that was uh, the the third at bat was negative 31% win expectancy. Uh, that was the my favorite. This is one of my favorite things about baseball. The team that's trailing on the scoreboard but winning by d- uh, win probability. That's my new thing this year. <laughs> noticing those. Uh-huh. Uh, so anyway, thirty-one percent for that. Four percent for the second one. Three percent for the. So that's negative thirty-eight percent win probability. Which, uh, and this is where it gets interesting, is the sixteenth worst opening day 
in history. <laughs> wow. Historic. So, uh, so I wanted to see, and you'll, you'll know the answer even before I get going, but I wanted to see if this means he's going to have a terrible year mm-hmm. because uh, he started so badly. Do you want to guess? <laughs> uh, I would guess that that on the whole, the group of players who have terrible WPAs in a single game are worse than the average player. But are they worse than, you know, say the year before? No. No. They're they're not even really worse than the average player. Hmm. Maybe a little bit. But uh, they're, they're, there are a couple who, like, that was their last year. They basically got run out of the league. There were some who were, you know, historically bad. And then there were some who were all-stars and had career years, as you would expect. So they had, uh, as a group, they produced 28 wins above replacement that year. The previous seasons, the same group had produced 29 wins above replacement. It is not interesting. Uh, but here's the thing. Did you see what Jared Saltalamacchia did today? <laughs> no, I didn't. You were falling behind <laughs> on salty news. I know. This is why it, it, it's so tough to keep up with all the important stuff that happens in the season. I don't have the uh, win probability added for you. But he went 0 for 4 with three strikeouts. Uh, I'm so that's he's going to be negative. He can't be positive with that. He's going to be negative. So that's two days in a row to start the season. And while it doesn't matter if you have a terrible first game, and it doesn't really matter if you have a terrible first two games, at some point it probably does matter. And so I looked to see who had the longest streak of negative win probability added games to start a season, mm-hmm. uh, and. Uh, it's it's a guy named Mike Rivera, Mike Rene Rivera, middle name Rene, Padres catcher, but not that Rene Rivera, uh, who in 2003 started uh, with 15 consecutive negative win probability added games. Negative 0.021 win probability right. in the second game. So Rene Rivera uh, started with 15 negative win probability added games, and then in the 16th game he snapped his streak by appearing as defensive replacement in the ninth inning of a game that his team lost by nine, he managed to have a win probability add in that game of zero, of course. <laughs> and then the next three games, negative, 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 I did not play again. <laughs> his season was 19 games, uh, began with a streak of 15, but 19 games, 18 of them, he hurt his team's chances of winning. And in the last one, he did nothing. <laughs> wow. So Salt of Lamachia does want to avoid that. Mike Rivera might, you might argue that Mike Rivera had the <laughs> season in history. I wonder what the highest number of games played without a positive win probability in a season is. Oh, that's a, the highest number of games played yeah, without. Yeah, most games played without a single win probability, a positive win probability added game. All right, I can do that. Um, okay. Let's see here. Most games played. Actually, I don't think I can do that. Mm. I don't think I can do that. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, what I can do is tell you that Mike Rivera was even worse by perhaps this measure than Eugenio Velez was the year he went hitless. <laughs> the year he went 0 for 37 uh-huh. and never got a hit. Because at least Eugenio. Uh, had like a had a I think he he had a uh, like a sacrifice fly and a walk 
And so he did have a couple of positive win probability events. Uh, and so he doesn't, uh, he's better. Uh, unfortunately, he's hmm. better than Mike Rivera, who went an entire year without contributing to his teams. <laughs> so okay. salt, we got a salty watch. He's at game two. We're going to see if, if he can make it 15 years. By the way, he also allowed a stolen base in each game and did not catch either. Mm. If you could count framing, probably be even more negative. I, yeah, I, I knew you'd mention that. <laughs> All right. Uh, so play index, coupon code BP. Get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. All right. Wrapping up with one more from Lee. The Chris Bryant in motion has been covered to high heaven, but I was talking with a buddy the other day, and he posited the following. Wouldn't it improve the Cubs' chances of locking Bryant up long-term if they had shown goodwill and promoted him for opening day? If he's anywhere near as good as advertised, there's no way he makes it to arbitration, right? Maybe I'm overlooking something obvious, but it seems as though this may possibly come back to bite the club when they start discussing the inevitable Longoria-slash-Trout-esque pre-arb contract extension. And I guess the the obvious thing that he's probably overlooking is, is Chris Bryant's agent. Scott Boris, who is not likely to sign in Longoria Trout-esque extension. No, he's not likely to sign a Longoria-esque extension, but that he's not necessarily unlikely to sign an extension. I mean, like we talked about, these things, extensions these days, like the Trout one, for instance, which wasn't for enough money, but they they only buy out like one year these days. And mm-hmm. Boris works for his clients. I mean, a lot of players, a lot of Boris's players have signed extensions. And every time I remember with Jared Weaver, constantly heard about how he would never sign an extension because of Boris. Mm -hmm. And then he not only signed an extension, despite Boris, but took what was seen as a huge hometown discount to do it. And, uh, you know, he was pretty clear that in his mind, he thought he was taking a hometown discount because he wanted to pitch in front of his parents for the rest of his life uh, and stay local. So uh, I don't think that it's nearly out of the realm of possibility that a Boris client, uh, who you know desired some financial stability, would sign one of these you know five-year, forty, fifty million dollar extensions that we're seeing. Uh, that's not a huge. That's not a huge loss. It's not a huge. Uh, I mean, he'll still hit free agency in plenty of time to to really cash in. Um, and um, so, I mean, it, if you thought it hurt the chances of that, I don't think it hurts the chances of that. Mm-hmm. Either that I think that's the the bigger thing is that just before Weaver signed his deal, the Angels took him to arbitration over some like incredibly petty amount, mm-hmm. and we all also wrote then that <laughs> yep. he would never sign an extension. And yeah, then he signed an extension like a year later. So my guess is that uh, the goodwill factor doesn't really matter all that much here, and mm-hmm. if it does, if it hurts them a little, uh, they would gain. They would gain by having his. Uh, his earnings kind of expectations be docked by service time considerations. Like mm-hmm. the fact is that sure, maybe it costs them. Maybe they have to, maybe they have to overpay him by $5 million now because he's a little bit mad at them, but maybe they just saved themselves 15 million in what he'll be expected to earn. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that I quite buy that they shouldn't do this on pragmatic grounds. I, you know, think that they shouldn't do it because it sucks for me and I don't want to watch them do it. But I kind of think that maybe that's over overthought. Yeah, I don't buy into the, the goodwill argument all that much. It comes up all the time. It came up with the, the Harper Nationals grievance. It came up with Trout, right, where they're 
whether they were going to give him oh, right. more than the league minimum. A, they didn't give him a seventy-five thousand dollars raise. <laughs> right. So he was never going to. Yeah, and it was like people were aghast at that. Yeah. Like, that was a yeah. huge thing for a couple of days. It was. Yeah. Well, everything is a huge thing in the, for a couple of days, but. But yeah, I don't buy that so much. I I did an article a few years ago on arbitration at BP in July. I wrote it. I wrote about arbitration in July, so no one read it, rightfully so. But I I looked for guys who did go to arbitration and then looked for comps who did not go to arbitration and then looked to see whether there was any difference in the rate at which they stayed with, with that team past... Uh, their first, I don't know, three and six years of service time or something. And there was a difference. There was a difference for hitters. It showed up as as guys who didn't go to arbitration were more likely to stay with their team. But there was no difference for pitchers. So I don't know whether there's any difference between pitchers and hitters in that respect or whether that just shows that there probably isn't anything real to to that effect. Um, But in general... Players might have long memories about these things. I mean, Boris was particularly vocal about the Bryant situation. Even Bryant was somewhat vocal about it, and maybe that wasn't entirely posturing. But by the time you come up to the team and you have lots of success with the team and you like your teammates and you like your manager and maybe you go to the playoffs a couple times or win a World Series or something, and at that point, maybe the front office isn't even the same. You're not going to hold hold it against the team that you know seven years ago they they didn't bring you up or four years ago or whatever it is so seems like you would have to be a a particularly good grudge holder to really hold that against the team or for that to make a material difference all right we got some other good questions but i will star them for next week and maybe come back to some of them Hey, John Morosi reported that the orioles are having ongoing trade discussions involving uh brian webb who was recently DFA'd? If you had a, if you had to recommend, if you were Ryan Webb and you told your agent, not that he has veto power over trades, but if you had to pick a situation that was most likely to result in in a save, is there any team that you would choose if you were Ryan Webb? I'm looking at uh, at closer depth charts, closers and setup men to see if there's a particularly vulnerable bullpen. Where Seems Webb like would have Braves. a better chance. It's the Braves. Jason Grilly with uh yeah. Jason Grilly with, with Jim Johnson up next. Bad team. That's probably the best. Yeah. I mean Grilly might if Grilly's any good, he'll probably get traded anyway. Mm-hmm. Alright. So root for Ryan Webb to go to the Braves if you want to see the streak broken. Tigers, maybe? Nah. Maybe nah, probably not Tigers. Yeah. Nah. I don't like the Tigers anymore. I take it back. Uh-huh. <laughs> um I think I think you probably got it. Mets, Juris Familia is hurt now. They're relying on, I guess, Bobby Parnell, who's also coming off an injury. Maybe maybe that's something that would work. But, uh, yeah, all right. Okay, so that's it for today. Please uh, join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Effectively Wild. Rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. And send us emails for next week at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. And then, <clears throat> in the 16th game, he he appeared. <laughs> he, <coughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, edit that out. I just could not move. <laughs>